Hello and welcome to the June episode of the Shameless Book Club. This month we read the debut novel New Animal by Australian author Ella Baxter. This book, set initially in the northern rivers of New South Wales, then later in suburban Tasmania, follows the life of Amelia Aurelia, an embalmer who spends her days in funeral homes painting the faces of the dead and her nights sleeping with strangers via the dating apps on her phone. More than anything though, this is a novel about grief. By chapter four, Amelia's beloved mother dies by falling down the stairs and the reader joins the protagonist as she wades through her all-consuming pain and loss. We have so much to talk about, not least that scene in the Tasmanian Kink Club. But before we jump headfirst into New Animal, I need to introduce my beloved co-hosts, Zara McDonald and Annabelle Lee. Hi. Hello. How are we, guys? Are we excited? Yeah, pretty excited, Annabelle. I'm so excited. <laughs> I think we're going to be disagreeing a lot in this episode, which we yes. tend to do in book clubs. So I'm excited to sink our teeth into it. Before we get into the meaty stuff in New Animal, let's talk about Ella Baxter the debut author. Yes. So Ella Baxter is 35. She lives in Melbourne at the moment, though she didn't always grow up here. And New Animal is her first book, which I think I was really excited to learn when we picked it because I love reading debut books from authors, especially Australian authors, and knowing how much time she put into this book, Annabelle. Yes, I agree. And I don't know if it's just in my mind, but I always feel like Australian local authors write in a specific way. And I love (laughs) it. It makes me feel so close to them. So New Animal took Baxter six years to write while she worked. Did it? Yes. So she was 27 when she started writing it. She told Creative talk, I would burn a candle and before I started writing, I would try to physically open the space between my stomach and lungs for a story to fall in. And once it did, I would just note it down. And I feel like that's kind of how the book read, kind of a bit like she says later, a meditation, very cathartic and therapeutic as this character, Amelia, works through all her shit. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. I read quotes like that because I had one of those quotes down as well, that she would try and open the space between her stomach and her lungs for a story to fall in. And it really makes me think there are really different kinds of writers in the world. Like (laughs) you and I have written a book, Mish, and I feel like such a toddler writer when I hear stuff like that. Like that's true. It's true art in many ways. Yeah, we are such basic bitches. I was like thinking about this being like, I think I just sat down and just wrote. I don't think I had a ritual or anything like that, but it is such an art form to write a fiction book. And I think a lot of fiction writers would say that they are quite methodical or quite artistic about how they go about their writing. This was released in March this year through Ellen and Unwin. It's already been picked up in both the UK and the US. It is also being developed into a television series by Lingo Pictures. Now, I did some research on Lingo Pictures. I'm not familiar with the titles that they've put on television, but maybe you guys are. The Secrets She Keeps, which yes. was on Channel 10. Did you like that? I watched it all. It was really good. Very gripping. Wow. And then they also did Upright, which I believe was on Foxtel. It seems like they definitely go for those grittier, darker stories. So they'll be very, very well suited to New Animal. Well, what I find really interesting about this fact in particular, it being adapted into a television series, is it's being written by Marika Hardy, who is like one of the most well-known sort of figures in the writing and literary scene and is very well known for her TV writing as well. So I thought that would be a lovely pat on the back for a debut author to think that someone like Marika is writing the screenplay. I other thing I found very fascinating about Ella Baxter is, as we said, she's not just a writer, she's an artist too. 
She does in her spare time make bespoke death shrouds, which she describes as handmade textile artworks to enshroud loved ones as they transition through the final ritual of burial or cremation. So clearly there is an interest here at a very base level about death. Yeah, and she did speak about this fascination with death to the age when the book was released. So she has been a longtime fan of Victorian era funeral art. She said, I inherited a locket that has someone's hair in it tied into a plait. It's considered macabre by today's standards, but back then it was very sentimental and beautiful. What have we lost in that now being classified as macabre? What other places does it take us? Yeah, so clearly she writes a lot about her own experiences. She also told The Age in that same article that she drew on her own experiences of BDSM to flesh out that theme in the book. So she just had one experience and it was quite an unexpected one. She said that she found herself on this date with a couple and she didn't really know she was going to a kink party until she was there. So the direct quote was, I'm not sure they would have given hints that it was not a traditional kind of party, but I didn't pick them up at the time. I didn't know that stuff existed. I had no reference for it. Yeah, Mm. I read that and I thought that really must have piqued her curiosity about the BDSM scene in particular. The other really interesting thing about this book, I mean, there are really a few really interesting things before we actually jump in, but she told Archer Magazine, none of my friends or family had read it until it was released, not even my husband. I had hidden it from everyone, so at first I felt really out of control. I coped by crying and eating fruit in bed, but I rode that wave of panic until I got tired and now I'm fine. I can't imagine that, having this huge story that's going out into the world where no one you know has read it. Do you think she did that, though, to kind of protect the sacredness of the book and how intimately she was feeding it? Because it seems like some of the scenes in this book are so personal and so honest that they are almost unbelievable. Like the honesty and the candor in this book would be very exposing to think that came out of my brain and now it's living on a page. Through a protagonist, yes. But I think whenever people read these books... You're writing the words. Yeah, they go, this came from her mind. Like, what does this say about the author? It's not that surprising to me that she would want to keep this under wraps because I feel like if she was having to pass it over in the editing process to friends and family... Their shock might then meddle with the actual storylines and it might compel her to pull back and not be that generous with the scenes. Yeah. Also, just on like a more personal level for me, this is definitely me projecting. I'm very avoidant and I would just, (laughs) there are so many ties Mm. and I would just want to avoid it till the very last moment (laughs) until it's published and properly a book. I think one other angle here as well that she did speak to in the age she touched on very, very briefly is that Parts of the book were inspired by her own experience of grief. She doesn't touch on it much because she says, I find it completely re-traumatising to talk about it. If I talk about it for days afterwards, I feel very emotional. I think I processed a lot of it through writing, which was very helpful. I mean, I imagine that's got to be some form of answer as well because I think if so much of your grief lives on these pages, it's a very personal thing. For sure. Let's talk about sex in New Animal. I think we really need to delve into this topic because it was – littered throughout the book. Sex was a major, major theme alongside death and alongside grief. Annabelle, yeah, tell me your <laughs> thoughts. I mean, there was sex on basically every page. How did you receive it? Well, I think it would come as no surprise to anyone that BDSM is not something I'm familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nor I. Yes. 
So, I mean, I have a tab here on my screen that says, what is BDSM? <laughs> because that's what I Googled just minutes ago. But yes, I found it uncomfortable for sure reading about that world. But as I was reading those texts where it was quite intense and at times violent, I kind of just pinned that down to my unfamiliarity with that world. Yeah. I did think that it wasn't potentially as fleshed out as I thought that it could have been considering a lot of readers might not know what that world is about. Right. And it was very like, to me, seemed quite predatory and scary and kind of mean, which is a very vanilla way to put it. <laughs> I think there is some argument for sure to say, like, I agree with you. I don't think the BDSM stuff was probably fleshed out as much as it could have been. Mm. And that Vlad was maybe the only lovely character in that scene. And I imagine, I mean, the BDSM scene and the King scene has changed a lot of people's lives. And that point is made in the book, but they told us that, but didn't show us that. Not in any way. Yeah. And I thought there's so many kind and lovely and supportive people in this community. I'm surprised that I can't see this in the book. I mean, the thing for me about this type of sex is that I feel like if I'm reading it, reading sex that is, I need sex to have connection and I don't know what that says about me and I know people (laughs) will probably try and psychoanalyze me. But I know that from the start. But when I saw this was about BDSM, I thought, great, I don't know enough about this. I am very intrigued about the storyline and how it's going to play out here. But like you, Annabelle, I felt it was a bit lackluster. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you say you need sex to have connection, I agree with you on two different levels, though. It either has to be romantic or it has to be sexy. Like, I'm fine with you having casual hookups with people. Totally. Make it pleasurable, though. Like, I don't like reading emotionless, robotic, joyless sex. And maybe that says something about me. Maybe it says something about what I gravitate towards. And clearly some people do love this kind of sex. But it was a little bit reminiscent of reading A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing. And I really didn't enjoy that book because that was filled with robotic sex. I think that book is going to come up a couple of times in our conversations about New Animal because I think my feelings about the BDSM in this book are very reminiscent of what I said about Jessie Two's writing in that I feel odd, and this is just a personal thing, about the cross-section between pain and sex because I experienced such painful sex for such a long time. And I read this and I'm like, but why don't you just enjoy it? Like if you're (laughs) able to enjoy it, don't self-inflict the pain. But that is completely my own stuff. Yeah, well, as you guys remember, I loved that book. (laughs) And so to play devil's advocate about the point that I made at the start of this segment, I do think that if this book had that pleasure around sex, it would have kind of contradicted the intention of this book. Like it's supposed to be really dark and I don't know if – because she was going through grief. I don't know if she was experiencing pleasure. It would have really served the purpose of this book. Yeah, true. I mean she was having sex that was joyless before her mum died. I know she was going through the grief of Daniel and we'll touch on that later in the episode because boy, oh boy, do I have some questions about that (laughs) storyline. But, yeah, it just – it was a little bit too grayscale for me. Like I need sex to be a little bit technicolour and have some pink love hearts thrown in there to make me really gravitate towards it. I think as well her saying – and this was a quote in the book that was also pulled out to be in the blurb – I am medicated by another body drunk on warm skin. I don't actually buy that. I don't think the way that she spoke about sex meant that she was medicated by another body or drunk on warm skin. That makes it sound like she enjoys sex and that's why she does it, which is totally fine. But she wasn't drunk on anything. She was almost completely detached and going through an out-of-body experience whenever she slept with someone. I agree with that. That line is very funny in the context of this book because I think the sex scenes felt very much like not two people coming together or even her touching another person had any impact on her. It was very much like a solo experience. She's not getting drunk on anyone else's skin because she doesn't really care about 
even touching them. It's just yeah. like the physical robotic nature of doing it. Yeah, and the word warm just struck me as unusual there in particular. We absolutely have to talk about the menstrual blood scene in the BDSM club. I'm going to try to sum it up. I do not want to pull out direct quotes because I'm a little bit traumatised. Effectively, if you haven't read the book, the protagonist, Amelia, realises midway through a session, a sex kink club session where she is the dom, that she hasn't removed and replaced her tampon. It is now a full tampon. She is bleeding on the person she is playing with. She chooses to pull her tampon out, throw the bloody tampon across the room, and then proceeds to wipe her blood onto her finger and draw on the man's face as if he is a clown. The description was like a sad menstrual clown. Give me your thoughts on this scene. I was uncomfortable for sure, but I it's weird to say that I enjoyed it. I thought it was like a well-written scene to explain just how much she didn't understand what she was doing in that yeah. moment. That's a fair point. I think she very clearly didn't know what she was doing. I was a bit shell-shocked reading it and I think I thought I was going to vomit when she was pull out her <laughs> tampon and throw it across the room. And part of me, I've been trying to do a lot of self-analysis as I was reading the book and thinking about it later and it's like, am I you know, uptight, do I not understand oh BDSM? But then I think like, no, this wasn't even about BDSM. This was just about her being so completely lost in this scenario that she didn't even know what was appropriate behaviour anymore. Mm. Like she'd completely blurred every line of what was appropriate and normal. This scene was completely distracting to me. I feel like there was enough exploration of the BDSM community, enough exploration of her not knowing what she was doing, that this could have been touched upon in a way that was far more powerful and far less destructive from the actual storyline. For me, this overpowered a lot of the great messaging around that section of the book about grief. And it was so unusual and bizarre and quirky that it didn't feel believable at all to me. I disagree. I do too. Yeah, it felt believable to me because of, I think, what what Annabelle and I just touched on in that. It's incredible that she wanted to go to this community and find solace and she couldn't even kind of follow the rules there. Like she was such a lost soul that she couldn't even work her way or muddle her way through this. Yeah, and that grief led her to this community and then for a while there she got lost in it and didn't know what she was doing and that kind of felt appropriate to tell that story in that moment. Mm. It was an interesting decision of Ella Baxter then to write the subsequent experience of this kink club as another negative one. I mean, Amelia went in in a submissive role. The dom that she was working with was supposed to be like a master of BDSM, like one of the most experienced members of that club. And yet her experience was, again, completely terrible, horrible, humiliating, awful. And I wonder why Ella Baxter wanted to give us that experience. I truly believed that we were going to go into that room where anything can happen and she was going to have a positive or neutral experience. Neutral and decide it's not for her or positive and actually get the release that she was after. You know what? The more we talk about this, I think maybe another or the core gripe with the BDSM storyline for me was that she didn't have an enjoyable experience in there and I really wanted to read that. Like I really wanted to read what it was like for someone to – 
you know, feel a lot in these sort of settings and what she could gain from it and what she enjoys about it. I wanted to understand that and see that and I just didn't feel like it was given to us. Yeah, I agree. I feel like maybe Ella Baxter wanted the ending to be more about family and I guess if she'd found solace in the BDSM community, it would have been harder for her to like return to her two dads and like... (laughs) I I actually don't agree with that. The dads were very open and very accepting of kink and different sexualities. They were very accepting of the throuple that Amelia's brother had found himself in. I don't think they're at odds. Being into BDSM and having a tight connection with your family shouldn't be opposing forces, but I do think that was presented that way in New Animal, which is no surprise that some members of the BDSM community had issues with that. Coming up after the break, our conflicting opinions on what landed and what just didn't in New Animal. But first, a word from today's sponsor. All right, guys, we've spoken about Ella Baxter's background. We've spoken about sex in this book. Speak to me about what didn't land for you in New Animal. Annabelle, I will start with you. I really struggled to come up with anything apart from the kind of lack of depth in the BDSM community descriptions. I thought that the first half was perhaps more palatable for obvious reasons, and I think that's why I liked it more. But the sex stuff was kind of the main stuff that I Mm. didn't quite like, just because of personal reasons, I think. Interesting. Zara, I see from the notes that your dot points are a little (laughs) bit longer. Look, I think the first thing I recognised when I put this book down and when I went to really start thinking about how we'd have this conversation is that I actually don't have much feeling or much (laughs) to say. Like I was like, I don't know how much I can even pull about this because it felt very much like I closed the book and kind of had a bit of a shrug of the shoulders. Like it felt a bit like, oh, like, okay, that's done. On to the next one. Like, I, I don't know. It was a weird sensation that I haven't felt in a long time reading the book. I think first and foremost, I just didn't feel invested enough in the characters. And I think because there weren't many characters and we spent most of our time with Amelia and I didn't really understand her at all, it really impacted my experience of the book. Ella Baxter had this interesting quote about Amelia. She said, to me, she's a character who is cut differently, who is nuanced and complex and not easily understood. In a lot of ways, Amelia is still an enigma to me. And I thought that's really interesting because I imagine that Amelia is meant to be an enigma and is meant to be hard to understand. And maybe that was the point, but I didn't really like that. Yeah, I agree with you in part. I really struggled to feel anything about this book for the first three quarters of it. I also thought in the very, very beginning, the very early pages, the writing was a little too florid for me. The opening sentence of the second chapter fell flat. And I know that I'm literally picking out sentences and pulling them apart, but I think when you have an opening sentence to one of the first chapters of the book, you need to make them a banger and you need to give them a point. And this sentence really confused me to the point where I reread it so many times. Ella Baxter wrote, At 11am, the landscape already crackles on its way to reaching 40 degrees before lunch and the sound of Kathmandu water bottles being refilled ricochets between the three major holiday parks. I don't get what that means. Like, can the sound of water bottles being filled ricochet between holiday parks? I know she's probably being poetic. I know she's probably trying to use a metaphor, but that to me falls flat. So much of the other writing later in the book in particular sung to me and was gorgeous and poignant and beautiful. But for a line like that to exist so early on, I think really does take the reader out of the narrative experience and makes them go, what? Yeah, it does make you kind of think, 
what are we talking about here yeah. a lot of the time. I mean, I think at least initially for the first half of this book, it felt a little bit like a book I might have read before. Like I think for some reason I feel like maybe recently, maybe this is just my experience reading, I've read a lot about the woman who uses sex to feel something. Yeah. Like I feel like that's something we see a lot. And I know that we touched on this earlier in the episode, but I definitely couldn't get Jessie Two's A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing out of my head. And it was definitely to the detriment of my experience reading this book because I didn't like that other book. And I tried not to compare them. And I think once I'd finished this book, I thought, no, they are very different books. But I think I was just clouded in those early kind of chapters because I couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah, it really was in the forefront of my mind comparing those two books the whole time I was reading it. And I don't think it's a bad thing. Well, for me, it's not a bad thing because (laughs) I liked both books. Mm. And I think that you not liking Amelia as a character, Zara, makes a lot of sense because you didn't like the main character and Atlanta Girl is a dangerous thing. But for me, the character of Amelia really worked. Like there's something about the protagonist being a person who's like kind of always working through shit Mm. that is like really effective for me as a reader. Like she doesn't always get it right and she feels a lot of the time disassociated from the decisions that she makes. But I think getting a glimpse into her mind as she took each step throughout the book was interesting to me and it felt like I was learning. Interesting. You do love these. Characters. I love. It's these still characters. so coming of age for you. Yeah. It's so you always gravitate. You see a character who like is trundling <laughs> through the mess of life, and you're like, I like that. Tell girl. me how to fix it. <laughs> I've got your back. Yeah. Talk to me about Daniel. Daniel is a character that was semi introduced to us in the very early pages of the book. He was a young man who suicided by throwing himself off of. I mean, I'll describe it as a cliff edge. I don't know if that's technically correct. He launched himself off of a landing yes. and died either on impact of the fall or before the fall. It wasn't quite clear. Now, Daniel was used as his device early on to explore why the protagonist, Amelia, was already experiencing this profound grief. And yet it was never clarified if she and Daniel even knew each other, who Daniel was to her, what kind of connection they had. I spoke about this with Rhiannon, our partnerships director at Shameless in the office. She read New Animal a few months ago when it came out and said that she interpreted Daniel as someone in the community that Amelia didn't even know. It was just a guy that she heard of that she developed this connection to after he died. I have no idea what to make of it at all. What did you guys think? I think it made a tiny bit more sense by the end of the book when we understood her connection to that little baby that I think we'll get into later, where she really does feel quite deeply for the people that she's working with when she's prepping them for the funerals. And perhaps she had a similar connection to Daniel as she did this baby. But I do think it was kind of dropped this storyline and then we were just kind of expected to understand and deal with it and then it was never raised again, it was not left. once. Yeah, no, I agree with you guys and Ree. I think that that was the point of Daniel but I was kind of hoping he'll be brought up later and it yeah. would be explained perhaps they were together, like perhaps he was a past boyfriend. But, yeah, by the end of the book I realised that it kind of explained Amelia's connection with death and her ability to see the beauty in it, yeah. I guess. I mean, maybe I'm asking for too much. Maybe I'm too much of a simplistic reader, but I almost needed his name to be mentioned in those final chapters mm-hmm. to kind of tie yeah. that up just a little bit because it did feel like he was just lingering there as an unanswered question mark that I had nothing to answer. What do you guys think about her not going to the funeral? Did it feel believable to you? Yes, because I think grief bubbles up for different people in different ways. And I think her kind of like avoiding other people and I guess their expectations of her in their processes of grief Mm. was really realistic to me. I was like, yeah, I could see myself doing that. Yeah, I think this was one of the areas where the brevity of the book and how short it is, I mean, 230 pages, 
let down the story. I think in other areas, the briefness of this meant that it was served and that it was very pacey. It was so easy to get through. It was such a page turner. But not having that extra 50 pages that the average book has to reach that 280 to 310 kind of gap that we see so many novels fall into meant that we didn't see things fleshed out. I think one thing I didn't feel was fleshed out enough was Vincent. I felt like Vincent was communicated to us as this gorgeous stepfather figure who had so many positive traits about him, but we didn't really see any of that. Another area was the decision not to go to the funeral. I felt like I needed more to understand and to actually connect with the story that I was reading. I really agree with you on the Vincent thing. I think it speaks to what I was saying before a little bit. In this book, it felt like there was a bit of telling not doing, like Mm. I was just expected to swallow certain things without actually seeing it. I think I agree with you, Annabelle. I think I was like reading this book being like, God, it's it's such an interesting decision to not go to your mother's funeral when you are grieving this badly. But then I was like, I don't know how anyone is meant to respond in a time like this. And maybe I'm just the kind of person that really abides by societal norms, which would be, no, you go up and you show up. Like that's what you need to do. But what's to say that's right? Like I really had a real yeah. reckoning with myself to be like, what is to say that is the right thing to do if you need to kind of protect yourself? I mean, with this story on the brevity, This story felt like a tiny cog of what could have been a much greater story. Like this felt like a short story within a long one. And I wanted the tangents. I wanted it to be more of like an octopus where we went everywhere (laughs) with subplots and detail. And I think this says far more about the style of book that I gravitate to rather than the book itself. Like Elle Baxter has every right to tell a snapshot of a story. I think I just wanted more from so many different parts. Which is so funny because we all sat behind these microphones in the last book club episode and my main gripe was swing time was far too long. I was given a whole bunch of stuff I did not need to know. I felt like it was wasting time. I loved how quick this book was. Yes, I think it could have been fleshed out by 20 or 30 pages to give me that context on Vincent in particular. The funeral stuff I can probably excuse because I'm like, whose mind makes sense at times like this? But... An enjoyable book to me is one that almost reads itself. Like I would open this and it would be very, very easy to swallow 80 pages in one bite and not even look to my phone. I did not look at the page number once, which is the opposite of my experience with swing time. This was the remedy I needed to last month's clusterfuck of a book. (laughs) It's interesting because it was quick. It was pacey. Like if anyone's looking for a quick book, like a pacey book, I would say you can get through this one very quickly. That said, I was looking at the page numbers and I did have my phone out. So... No, I just disagree with so much of this. I feel like, as you said, Zara, it's very much to do with the style of the book that is very reminiscent of A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing. (laughs) Yeah. I think the purpose of the style of the book is to kind of pick a random snapshot of time or it's supposed to come across like a random snapshot Mm. of time, which means that not everything can be explained. Like some people you don't get to be familiar with, like Vincent. I get it. Like I did crave a lot more from the book, but I also think there is beauty in this kind of book. It's also a great experience for an author to give a reader where you close the book and you go, wow, I wanted more rather than, wow, I needed about 30% less. That's true. That may be true. (laughs) Let's talk about our final section of today's episode. I want to hear from you guys about what worked really well when it came to New Animal. Annabelle, I think we both have a lot of positives that we want to dive into. Zara, do you have any? Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely have a few. I mean, I thought some of the writing was wonderful and I want to read out a few passages before we finish the show. 
I think one of the first things I thought was I actually liked that Simon's character wasn't the focus and that it didn't have to be, that his relationship status as someone in a thruple was a bit of a by the by, that it wasn't made to be some sort of like freak show, that it was just like a very normal storyline. I don't think we see that enough. I do think the way that she wrote about grief though made me feel very much like I've never experienced grief and Um, I am terrified too because it felt so real and scary. Like there was one section on page 180, I'm just going to call it up here, where she said, I let my eyes blur wondering if I'd ever truly understood grief before, even though I worked in a funeral home. I knew it was the catalyst for books and songs. People wax lyrical about grief and death. People win regional arts grants for their essays on watching people die. I never read or listened to any of it because I thought I knew it already. Every day, every single day, I would lecture someone about grief. It's profound. It's necessary. It's human. I would repeat these words that I had heard other people say with no personal experience of them. Which part of grief do you want to know about? The developmental, physiological, Theological, emotional. I've got facts. I'm full of facts. It's profound. It's necessary. It's human. No one tells you that it drips like dye into your life, slowly coloring everything. Nobody tells you how unhelpful people can be or how unfriendly the world can seem. Nobody tells you the hours involved in processing all the feelings and memories. Nobody, nobody, nobody. And I was like, fuck, I haven't felt this. And fuck, I really, really don't want to. And I know that we all will. Yeah, same here. I think Ella Baxter is an incredible writer. Mm. Yes, I don't think this was a perfect book, but there was some paragraphs in this book that just hit me in the heart so, so hard. I have a passage I want to read out as well because I do think she is an up-and-coming writer, similar to Jessie too, actually, where maybe their stories don't sing to me personally, but them as writers is like absolutely something to behold. It was this, actually. So we had just explored through Amelia all of the ways she had treated her body poorly. And then we were hit with this paragraph that I felt like gave the book incredible light. What about when I've loved my body, fed it vegetables and kept it warm and safe, when I put soft things around it, let it sleep more than the usual amount, when I checked if it needed glasses or vitamins, when I used my body to care for other bodies, when I untangled knots with gentle hands and ignored my phone, when I took my body for long walks, ran it like a dog, sank it into warm baths with salts, and when I listened to it, give the first gentle no of the evening. Mm. She just has a way of writing that really hits you in the stomach, feels like a gut punch, and I think that is such a testament to who she is as a writer. And yes, I've explored things that didn't land well for me with this book, but let me tell you, the thing that absolutely sung out to me was the last 50 or 60 pages. I actually read this book over three days, and at the end of day two, I finished with a pretty grim scene. I think it was about the sex club or it was something where I just was like, oh my God, this book is so dark and so emotionless and so robotic. I picked it back up at the very beginning of the chapter with Vlad, that gorgeous Dom who was very caring and maternal towards Amelia. And I must say every page from that one onwards was some of the best writing and the most emotional experience I've had with the book maybe ever which is weird because my experience of the first three quarters of this book was mediocre, verging on negative. My experience with the last quarter of this book was overwhelmingly positive, bordering on adoration. Like I finished this with tears streaming down my face and I was lying in bed and they were all pulling in my throat. Like I just adored it, particularly the scene with the stillborn baby. That was so powerful for me. Was it as powerful for you two? Yeah, I think God, you can really tell that Ella Baxter is an artist as well because she does this thing when she writes where it's like she's so subtle with her words when she's describing like really emotional, really intense 
things and themes. Like I had that page noted down as well because I think the way she described bodies in that moment where it was like this push and pull of hating it but also loving it, it was just so incredible the way she did it. And I think that Ella Baxter, yeah, managed to weave each theme together so effortlessly but in a really impactful way. Like how the book spoke on sex and grief and death and like physical pain. It did feel like art when she was writing Mm. it. They all managed to like interweave exceptionally well. Mm. And then I read an interview with her. I can't remember who it was with. I read the same one. Yeah, where she was like, it wasn't completely intended. Like it sort of all fell together. And I was like, how does that just happen? Mm. Like it's pretty insane. I think the last three to four pages were beautiful, like so incredibly put together. I think for me, thank God those pages were there because it really tied a lot of it together. Like the fixation on needing to care for our bodies through meeting this tiny stillborn baby. Like when she kissed the centre of the little baby's oh, head. Oh, I actually feel like crying even you just saying it. was very, it. very sweet. And I loved that Amelia could experience that kind of love. And I wondered, going back to Daniel, like I wonder if there was some parallel scene where she was working with him where she felt something similar and Mm. I kind of wish we had that as well, like just more experiences or stories of her expressing love. Yeah, I also absolutely adored the scene between Jack and Vincent where in their grief they managed to meet each other in the middle and actually form some kind of bond over the woman that they both loved and the daughter that they both had together or the children they had together. Them pouring the mother's name into the grass and then burning it. I just... Were you a bit scared? (laughs) I was like, ah! (laughs) I just... I just loved it so Mm. much, which is such an unusual experience because it was like I finished this and I just had adoration for this book. It gave me everything that a lonely girl is a dangerous thing didn't. A lonely girl was emotionless the whole way through and I remember finishing it and being like, what was the fucking point of that? We didn't fix anything. This had that warm soul that I was really yearning for for 180 pages. So to get that was kind of like I can look past the misgivings I had with the book because there's so much goodness at the end. That scene between Jack and Vincent made me smile a lot actually. I think one thing we probably even haven't mentioned about this book is that there were splashings of like humour throughout it. This scene where Amelia walks in and Jack and Vincent are lying on lounges like drunk (laughs) and I just pictured it straight away being like what a hilarious image these two guys just like yeah away. And Jack says to Amelia, look, I hope you don't mind, but I told Vincent about the kinky stuff. He's your dad (laughs) and he needed to know. Jack says, as Vincent cups his shoulder and they look at each other misty eyed. Sexuality looks very different these days. It's fantastic. (laughs) Vincent says, look at Simon. And you know, I was around the disco scene. I've seen these things. Believe you me. There are a few years where it gets all very loose. Very, says Jack. But she needs to be safe, doesn't she? There's a lot of idiots (laughs) around the internet and really just all sorts hanging about looking for nice girls like her. And that back and forth between Vincent and Jack being like, (laughs) I gave her a personal alarm. She should be wearing condoms. She's just standing there being like, what is going on? I just loved that. It was sweet. And I know that Amelia in this book makes the point like, I wish this could have happened while mum was here. But I think that's exactly the point about death and grief is like that was never going to happen when your mum was here. Like Mm. grief clearly alters your perspective in such insane ways that this is one of the silver linings that it can bring people together when it never, ever would have. Yeah. Guys, it is time. I want to hear your ratings for this book. Are we rating out of five or out of ten? We've gotten confused. We're rating out of five. (laughs) Annabelle, let's start with you. What do you give New Animal out of five? I'm going to give it a 3.5. I would have given it a four, but I think some parts did make me uncomfortable. 
And I know that's a me thing. I can register that. But if I'm just basing books off like what I would lean towards Mm. just on a regular day, that would make me not want to read it again. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. I think... After having this conversation, I actually have really enjoyed this conversation and I tend to actually rate these books both based on my experience of reading the book and how I think about it later and what really kind of churns through my brain. So I think I'm going to give it a three. Yeah, this book will stay with me for a long time. I think as well this rating is because this was recommended to me by a friend, Rhiannon, and that recommendation is now very much appreciated. It was very easy to get through. I found that it was very profound at the end. It was a good use of my time and therefore I will recommend this to friends It's a tricky one. I actually am going to give it a four out of five because I think it is a great recommendation. I don't think anyone will waste their time on this book and there is enough there to make it a really enjoyable, profound experience, despite the menstrual scene. If the menstrual scene wasn't there, (laughs) 4.5. Well, there you go. Another book club done. Guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been such an enjoyable chat. Next month, we have a goodie for you. For the July instalment of the Shameless Book Club, we are tackling the much-anticipated latest novel from Taylor Jenkins Reid called Malibu Rising. Set in Malibu in August 1983, Malibu Rising tells the story of Reva's annual end of summer party. This is from the blurb. Everyone wants to be around the famous Reavers. Nina, the talented surfer and supermodel, brothers Jay and Hud, one a renowned champion surfer and the other a renowned photographer, and their adored baby sister Kit. Together, the siblings are a source of fascination in Malibu and the world over, especially as the offspring of the legendary singer Mick Reaver. By midnight, the party will be completely out of control. By morning, the Reva Mansion will have gone up in flames. But before that first spark in the early hours before dawn, the alcohol will flow, the music will play, and the loves and secrets that shaped this family's generation will all come rising to the surface. Well, it is already a New York Times bestseller after only being out in the world a couple of weeks. And given Taylor Jenkins Reid's last novel, Daisy Jones and the Six, was our highest rated book club ever, I think. No surprise. I think I gave it a 10. Yeah, I gave it a 10. (laughs) There is a lot of hype for this book and we cannot wait to see what it's all about. If you want to support the show, please click follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple. We are on Instagram at The Shameless Book Club. We're actually on break at the moment. We're um, quite magic coming back in two years (laughs) in the middle of it. So we'll be back for regular programming on July 12th. Bye. Bye. Bye.